0: At BIMtube, our mission is clear, to elevate your digital knowledge. We deep dive into exploring the value of digital and data with conversations that not only inspire, but also instigate better information management.
1: Thanks for downloading this episode of the BIM Tube podcast. Just a reminder that you can access all the podcasts in video and audio if you visit bim.tube. So our website again is at bim.tube. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of the BIM Tube podcast. My name is Stephen and today I've got Erin Khan. So thank you Erin for joining me. Thank you very much indeed.
0: Yeah, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have the chance to speak with you and share a little bit more about my world.
1: Great. Yeah. L- likewise. And um, we, I mean, we've we've obviously got some topics to to cover that we we've thought about. But of course, for the benefit of people who haven't seen or heard one of these podcasts before, the the theme is around digital data technology. Uh, and better information management but clearly we'll give case studies and examples so our perceived audience are people who are not technologists who are new to this so um but yeah so erin so again thanks so much so if you if you don't mind if you could introduce yourself and then critically i think um it's really important for people to understand that everyone has a different background so maybe you could just give a quick overview of the your sort of career history and how you got to the role that you have today please that'd be great
0: yeah, absolutely. So my name is Erin Kahn. my current um, role in the industry, I'm the founder and senior consultant at my own consultancy, Erin Kahn Consulting, EKC for short, where I help support um, technology adoption in the AEC industry. Um, but the origin story on me, if you will. Uh, so born and raised in New York, and then I had the wonderful opportunity to come out to the West Coast of the U.S. for school. Um, so I am a USC Trojan. So I don't know, so it's University of Southern California, um, where I actually started as undecided, didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, um, found that I gravitated towards uh, building things, collaborating with others, math, um, and also I really wanted to have an impact in a bigger way. Um, So I found that through civil engineering and being part of the built world. Um, So learned a lot of really great stuff in the civil engineering program at USC. And my senior year, I had the opportunity to intern as a project engineer intern, renovating one of the buildings on campus, which was such a cool experience as uh, a college senior. Um, But I would say it was also very Eye opening um, where I was learning sophisticated things in school. So you think about all your digital processes, um, sophisticated 3D, 4D modeling, um, and way, way more. Um, But when I got out to the job site, it was pretty manual, very paper-based. What's this iPad thing? How exactly do I, you know, get the most out of my computer, my software? So a lot of those questions were being asked, and I just immediately saw that as an opportunity from day one. Um, oh my gosh, I can basically empower the team, bring digital tools to the job site, and we can get all of our processes done more or less um, faster, safer, uh, better quality you name it. So I really was passionate about elevating things on the site with technology. Um, so, fast forward. <coughs> A few years, a few different roles, I was a, let's see, regional construction solutions director at the, at the time they were called Smart Labs. Um, They um, updated the name to the CoLabs. So these were regional uh, spaces um, throughout uh, Suffolk Construction, who is a national uh, general contractor here in the U.S. based out of Boston. Um, But each of these regional hubs was dedicated to bringing technology, running pilots, really focusing on innovation and growing innovation with our field users so that the overall company like technology and innovation agility would be really, really strong. Um, So I did that for a few years. Um, The last year I was at Suffolk, I was in the national role, essentially doing more of the same on a bigger scale. Uh, And then come this year, 2023, I really wanted to get out of the corporate grind, um, explore more. Uh, So there are so many things that I've been exposed to um, in this industry and uh, quite frankly through a lot of the amazing experiences that I had at Suffolk. So I really had the, um, or I would say like an itch I wanted to scratch with supporting startups as well as other general contractors with getting on board with this uh, amazing technology wave. So that's what brings me to where I'm
1: at today. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Um, Erin. And it's interesting is that the the data is, and the technology is just an enabler. And obviously you partly touched on the the process optimization. Just one of the topics that um, I'll just cut to the chase and ask you one of the questions that we had to see where where we go from there, which is around data Uh, pitfalls so of course digital data digital transformation all these buzz terms out Mm -hmm. there but I'm I'm sure like like you it ultimately comes down to the quality of data and the rest of it but what do you think some of the pitfalls are around data and information and models particularly in construction and how do how do we address them um
0: absolutely um so I really like to frame it around people process technology, which I think has been brought up and probably been beaten to death, but um, it really does start first with that people component. And in my mind, it's not so much a technical issue with data that we have. It's really a communication and a relationship building issue. So what I've seen happen time and time again is that the, um, Personas, or you know, the the roles that are creating these technical digital tools and trying to um, make them valuable to the workflows and the processes that are happening in construction. There's a little bit of a disconnect because a lot of times those people aren't doing the processes in the field themselves. Um, So there's a level of like technical expertise that unfortunately tends to be. Um, two, three steps removed from these processes. So you're kind of operating in the blind when you're setting up a system, when you're setting up um, like data integrations, for example. So the the bigger issue, and it it really gets to the core of how the industry operates, it's um, lack of relationships between the field users, those boots on the ground who are doing these processes day in and day out, back to, you know, maybe it's your back office that's putting some of these standards into place, or maybe it's a, a data team that's putting some of this um, specific data reporting into place, whatever it is, um, that that bridge needs to be gap. Uh, that gap needs to be bridged, there we go, <laughs> a lot better. Um, so we need to be saying before we dive into setting up um, a data integration, or maybe it's specific reporting, what actually matters to that person in the field? Can I, as a data person, walk with them literally and shadow their process to see what is the story behind the data? Where is it actually coming from and why? So um, basically my my uh, my suggestion is to make friends with uh, field uh, construction workers who are um, the end-all, be-all source, so they're the ones putting the inputs in, um, so, be friends with those people, uh, get to know what they care about, get to know what is important to them, because you'll uncover some really amazing um, stories and values of why. And it all ties back into how we work with and understand and leverage data for better decision making later down the line.
1: Great. Thanks, Erin. I couldn't agree um, more about the people process i mean that a lot of people say it at conferences like you like you articulated we've heard it before but they don't do it like like you've, you've simply put it make friends with people but P- people yeah. don't do that i mean li- maybe another question if i can just i would say link to that or following on for that or, or one dimension link to that is around user adoption support and first time user experience have you got anything to to add about that or from your experience in, in that area
0: yeah, um, definitely. Um, before we move on, though, you made a, a really good point. Like we say it all the time, but we we don't really do it. Um, I think one of the things that could specifically help with that is have everybody in a construction company have some sort of requirement to at least walk the job site um, with a partner. Uh, however, often is is reasonable for your role. Right. Maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once a quarter. Uh, but just get get out into the job and actually like have a a buddy walk you around and see what they are doing day to day. So uh, it it is hard, to your point, to make the time and effort to create those relationships. But um, maybe something like that could help promote those those types of uh, collaborations in an organization. Yeah. Um, and then so that also segues nicely into first time user experience, because if you have that level of insight as to what this person's day looks like, you'll probably be able to generate a better product, a better solution or service, whatever it may be that really speaks to what they're facing out there every day. Um, So instead of maybe missing something off the mark just a little bit, you now can refine your solution to really target what that um, team member individual values as they're going throughout their day to day. Uh, I think for tech providers too, it's um, especially critical to understand what goes on on the job site. Um, So I've seen it happen in my own experience um, time and time again, where, It's just one little button that the team member can't find. It just takes too long to get through a couple clicks. They get frustrated. They say, Oh, this is beyond, you know, my level of expertise. This isn't for me. They kind of say no to technology. They have that bad, that bad experience and they throw out the whole tool and basically don't want to ever revisit it because they wasted their precious time. So time is, um, Outstandingly valuable out on the site. So um, the worst thing that you could probably be doing is, you know, just burning minutes, um, not being able to kind of keep your crews productive. Um, in the in the case of like looking at schedule and productivity. So if you're you're wasting people's time with an overly complex tool or just something that's a little too complicated, that first time user experience is oftentimes like a make or break so it can easily be thrown out the window. Um, so yeah, having that, uh, I guess, putting yourself literally in the shoes of the, the people you're trying to reach um, can help overcome that and elevate that user experience so that it becomes a, oh man, why do I have to waste my time doing this? Um, into a, wow, this is amazing. I can't wait to tell all of my friends about this because it will save me so much time. Let's take a quick break.
1: Do you need help where to start with BIM and the ISO 19650 series of standards? If so, then our partners BIM Enable can help. Not only do they provide training, they can also offer implementation services and a strategic overview for your organization with a roadmap of what to do. They specialize in information management of all kinds, and BIM is just part of this, but also asset information management. So why don't you go to bimenable.com? That's bimenable.com. Yeah, I I think it's a really good point you make to physically go out on site. I know... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in more from my background, maybe more in operational and maintenance activities, but nevertheless, physically going out because ultimately there are people, right? We're not, we're not, not yet. Anyway, we're not employing <laughs> robots, not yet. I mean, not some quite people, yet. Maybe. And maybe
0: a little some bit, but not yeah, quite.
1: yeah. And and I I think that like you, we were just you were just talking about the user adoption. It could be something very small, like you you talked about pressing a button. It literally can be. People are pressing the wrong button, and it's just i mean it's um yeah so it's, it's a it's a good point, I think as we move more and more towards digi- digital and obviously we're part of it, the digitalization of the built environment there is a risk isn't there that the the office people uh, as in the example you were giving, are literally losing touch because every there's even less reason for some people to go out into the field now it becomes um a higher risk, I would say but have you have you gotten to think maybe just looping in? augmented reality or mixed reality have you got anything to to yeah. say about maybe how that how that's helping bridge that divide between the, the physical and, and digital
0: yeah a lot a lot of considerations um with getting out on site and how newer technologies kind of play into the whole thing um so i just had a thought pop into my head so i think it would be interesting to also explore um, pros, cons of safety. So, you know, we're losing touch with the job site maybe, but construction is a risky business. We all know this, right? So, um, any way to get less exposure to those risks, those hazards is in general an overall positive. Um, so I'd be curious to see, you know, maybe as we progress how the data shows up as more remote technologies come into play, um, very curious. So I'm not gonna say which way I think it'll go, but uh, just yet. But um, AR, MR, so augmented reality, mixed reality, um, for those who may not be super familiar, augmented reality, you can think of this as um, your Pokemon Go is what most people remember. Um, if you're shopping on an app for furniture, sometimes you can pick out your furniture and see what it looks like in your room. So it's basically projecting an image into the real space. um, So you can see what something is going to be like before it's actually physically there. Um, So these technologies are really fascinating with the dynamics of communication, collaboration, um, and uh, I guess I'll say remote collaboration on site um, and bridging that communication gap. So with um, some of the technologies that are available today, um, you can essentially wear a headset or bring an iPad, um, tablet out into the field, uh, pull up a 3D model, um, whatever data it is that you have preloaded, and see things like flash detection, um, if it's a sophisticated installation, exactly where certain things are going to be laid out in the field, And the accuracy on some of these solutions are getting um, much better and better and better than where they were just a couple years ago. So it's always improving. Um, So what we're seeing or what I'm seeing from the industry specifically is that we're going to be able to do much more complicated tasks with um, a, a team that's maybe not necessarily your traditional team that's located close to the project if they could be spread out throughout the entire world because with this digital tool this armr hub if you will or communication hub it will allow um, those parties to easily and effectively remote into the site if you will um, and give input and feedback in a much faster um, streamlined way that's also aligned with all of the digitalization um, systems that are
1: now becoming more and more standard. Thanks, Erin. So I think maybe not the term mixed reality. I think, I hope a lot of people will be familiar with augmented reality. I mean, you've already mm. explained what it is. But have you got any examples of what what that might look like? What actually, how would someone, what would it look like? What might a setup be in, in a typical scenario? So is it is it someone uh, with a headset on you know what or what, yeah. what 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 does it look like you know uh, typically nowadays yeah
0: yeah yeah so um some of the examples i gave were were real ones um so i recently completed a research report in collaboration with um placer solutions so if you want to really dive into the details check it out there um so let's see this um information that i'm sharing is essentially Uh, a brief summary of some of the findings um, that are from that report. But we uh, and my um, collaborators, Nate Fuller at Placer Solutions, we interviewed um, a whole bunch of builders that are absolutely blowing it out of the water in terms of using this technology. Um, So specific examples are putting on, um, it could be like a Microsoft HoloLens. I think it's the Trimble XR10, if I have the name right? That has the uh, hard hat component with it um, to put like a complex hanger installation, for example, into the headset. So you have a field worker who is wearing the XR10. They essentially have a HoloLens with a 3D model um, in their view. They can look at the real world around them and say, okay, this is Um, pretty much in the right spot, they can quickly spot check this is completely out of line, what's going on here, Um, and know when to pull tape, to verify measurements, do QA, QC, basically catch things that wouldn't have been caught or identified until much later on. Um, And even better than that, if they're using the tool even earlier in their workflows, using it for layout to verify before the installation happens that your model is actually matching exactly what it should be um, in the field. So you have that uh, reconciliation um, way, way earlier than finding out an oops later on. Um, so that that's one example where you're literally like in the headset, verifying things in the field. Um, there's also a really big communication aspect with design team members and with uh, end users and stakeholders. So we have um, a lot of non-technical, non-construction experts that are in construction who have to make big decisions. And a lot of the times they're making these big decisions off of a sketch or a 2D architectural drawing that they don't really understand. So the technology, um, putting an owner in a headset, for example, to see what something will look like um, before it's built. And really helps them make a much more informed and human-centric decision. So these are some of the actual use cases that are, that are happening today. Um, and I'll, uh, as a last note, add on to that, it doesn't always have to be a headset. So it can just be an iPad. A lot of people are very comfortable with iPads, very familiar with them. So that kind of makes uh, another easy entry to... Um, communicating
1: with sophisticated uh, 3D models and what's actually going to be built out on the site. Great, thanks Erin. Um, just one question, I I a lot of the conferences I go to at the moment, they have igloos or immersive, uh, you know, 360, oh, it can't be 360, can it? 180, yeah. <laughs> unless it goes under the floor, it doesn't. Anyway, 180 it, uh, type okay. spheric, hemispherical, um, tent things do, do you see them a lot are they becoming the norm i i see them a lot in the uk at least at events
0: i personally haven't been in a dome type of one um but i have been in a, a bunch of uh what we would call uh caves um so it, it's a an acronym, a bin cave um so it, it's a cube essentially and you have the projection of your model um shown one-to-one and you can essentially walk through your building in a one-to-one scale before um it's built so yeah it, it is um probably similar to that dome uh example that it, you're mentioning.
1: yeah i think i think dome and cave are probably easier words to explain <laughs> what i was trying to, <laughs> that's probably what i was trying yeah. to mean yeah bim cave whether it's called a bim cave but yeah that that's uh, I guess the difference is you're not physically wearing something. There might—I I mean, I—I I don't know. This is your specialism. I guess there might be something e- easier for people to engage with because they're not wearing something. You know what I mean? They just sort of walk in and it's there. But uh, it I'm true. certainly seeing that. Um, yeah. We didn't have a set question on this, but just to ask you because um I've got quite a strong background in geospatial so things like survey and gis yep. do you so a lot of use of drones in a way that we haven't seen a few years ago are they or uavs or UASs, whatever people want to call them um yeah. uh, are you seeing a lot of them on on site now in construction i mean i know we've had them for, for mm-hmm. a lot but what i mean is any are they being used in innovative ways is I guess what i'm asking yeah
0: yeah so So definitely um, what I've mostly seen is that it's it's really driven by use case and like the specific building or the specific team requirements. Um, So one of the, uh, let's say, more innovative use cases um, that I've noticed is using drones and very um, sophisticated like scanning technology and comparison like computer vision comparison technology. Um, to understand building facades and do inspections and QA, QC, um, as well as, especially in like the heavy civil space, like bridge inspections on locations that have never been looked at or have not been looked at in a very long time um, to uh, essentially comply with safety or hold safety requirements. So um, drone technology is really exciting because I think it's it's made um kind of leaps from where it first started at so now we're able to program in like autonomous flights so you can essentially almost almost set it and forget it there's still obviously some expertise involved with getting your, your drone to do it what you need it to do um, and in complying with all the regulations that come with that but um it's getting much much easier and i would expect it to Um, be much more of a commodity um, in the next coming years because of how prevalent drone usage is in in general. Let's take a quick break. Don't forget you can catch up on all our podcasts in video and audio by visiting our website at bim.tube that's b-i-m dot t-u-b-e
1: Yeah I I think that's where again I'm not necessarily uh, an expert in commissioning these things but I my observation might be it would, I'd be surprised if people don't have them now you know it would almost be that right. I think a use case why you wouldn't have one because certainly taking uh, photos from a a crane or something to look at change detection is you know has value and is done but having a three dimensional model to check a Change or a delta mm-hmm. in any. Just one one thing. Just changing gear if, if we if we can. There is. some I know that um, you're supporting multiple construction technology startups. So I don't know if you wanted to say something about that about improving data and particularly interoperability. So um mm. yeah, if you could tell us about that, would be great. Thanks.
0: um Yeah. So I mean, I've I've seen many, probably hundreds, more than hundreds, maybe um, of, of construction technology startups throughout my career. Um, they're all very exciting. Um, there's a wide variety of solutions out there. So I think um, that's something we're spending a little time um, talking about before we get to the data piece. So one of the biggest problems in construction that we face is no two projects are the same. All of the processes are a little different. If you look at how different construction companies do things, there's something that usually is specific to that company. So there's differences in that. And then when you get even down to the project level, um, there's differences in how team members approach things. There's differences in what each owner requires. There's differences in obviously the, the design. So all of this complexity and variation has driven what I think is uh, reflecting um, or like a mirror complexity in the market of solutions. Um, So when we look at just how much uh, data is available now to construction, um, it's completely overwhelming just, just because of that complexity factor. So where I'm going with this is now when we start try to like attempt to standardize some of the data systems and the the digitalization in our organizations and rolling out much more effective processes that are linked through data, um, it's, it's really, really hard to do because um, these projects may want to pull in a specific tool that could ble- be completely outside of the tech stock for the organization. Um, it could you know, not fit nicely in with the rest of the data systems that are already established. So a lot of times it's really tough to both, um, adequately address the needs of the, of the project while also providing like sophisticated, um, data reporting and, uh, data interoperability. So, um, that's not to say it's not worth it. It absolutely is worth it. Um, I think as we, continue with the next iteration of construction technology tools out there, there will start to be a bit more of like a standard database line. And a lot of the solutions will start to include more in their tool and their solution instead of just one very specific thing. So hopefully, hopefully over time, um, the tech fatigue and the quantity and variability of the solutions on the market um, we'll start to uh, not completely flatline out but streamline a little bit to make it easier on the end user to maybe um, maybe it's not 10 different platforms that they have to log into maybe it's three um, so maybe we start to get more um, to a place where it looks like that And then similarly on the back end instead of having to integrate um, 10 to 20 different tools and Constantly curate reports. It's auto feeding into a standard baseline that um, is set for the construction industry. So that's that's a lot. I feel like I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, those, like, no, some no, of my no. Thoughts on that?
1: No, no, it's good. So th- thank you. Yeah, like like I so, i normally normally t- uh, trying to keep things ab- abstracted, but but we're talking about data, and it's what. You do it's what you do, right? So normally, you know, if I'm talking to an ecologist, I'd talk. About, but you do data interoperability, so let's let's go deep on the topic. Just one thing, and I genuinely don't know. So obviously, I'm based in the United Kingdom, very familiar with what the central government requires. But how are things in the US as far as is it state level? Is there a national level government requirement? For for data is it, is it even asked for? So or, I don't know. I mean, how, how does it work over there? Is are there state level requirements?
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question. Most of my project experience has been on like private commercial projects, for example. So um, I may not be the best source of information uh, on on government requirements, but um, what I have seen is there are uh, specific things that are built into um, the RFPs or the request for proposals that come out where the contractor has to ensure that they can comply with those requirements before they're essentially like approved um, to be on the bid list. And it also um, is a much bigger factor, I think with the project type. Um, so something like a data center, is definitely going to have very specific requirements um, in terms of data security um, all of that that must be um, complied with so uh, i think it heavily depends on um, like one the, the state and as well as like to the building type that you're looking at
1: yeah I, I guess it is somewhat different in the uk being a relatively small uh country over here so um but th- just one thing to ask you again this is more this is more sort of rhetorical between us more for the listeners or viewers about building smart international is is does ifc formats come oh, up is that yeah, yeah? C- just could you again for the not not for our benefit but the people listening and watching can you just explain a little bit about building smart and maybe the ifc and do, do you do deal with them um so it, it's been a while
0: since i've it- kind of been myself in that space. So where I'm focusing on is mostly um just giving support and like technical adoption guidance to general contractors and startups. But um when, when it comes, I kind of go back to like the augmented reality and mixed reality oh, examples. Yes. Um, yeah. Having a very strong like virtual design and construction manager vdc BDC manager, BDC team Um, understanding those specifics. Uh, I know you mentioned IFC, there's a whole bunch of other um, very technical specs that come into play. Um, But nailing those can essentially make your tech adoption and rollout fantastic. Um, And if you don't get it right, then you're going to be in a place where where you're suffering. So um, those standards definitely do matter, making sure that you're Um, following like best practice is important and from my perspective I I would recommend having um, essentially that the expert on your team that knows and can navigate all those ins and outs for you so it's very specialized Um, I would also say it's probably one of my critiques though of um, the like 3D coordination space or tasks that we've now involved in construction. So we've made it, um, we've brought sophisticated, sophistication into the industry, but we've also made it so technically complex that only a handful of individuals really understand what it takes um, to navigate it and execute it successfully. So I'm hoping as well um, some of that expert knowledge gets a little bit more democratized, um, a little bit easier to follow and understand so that it, you don't need necessarily um, uh, what I would call is like a SWAT team of you know VDC uh, team members or engineers to get the ball rolling, but um, it's more accessible to your everyday person.
1: Yes, it's, it's a good point, Aaron. That the, the the detail is too much. I mean, that's p- partly the. To the origins of this podcast I mean it's how deep do people want to go in the in the technology yeah. and there's an infinite complexity if p- if people want it just out there and it's um yeah it's uh I, I take your point and, and I think the point that you made just before that about the the asset type or the the project type of course I mm-hmm. think asset type we've got more an asset background whatever it is you're building the type of what is being constructed really matters and again people think oh it's just generic generic and I think yeah. no 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 is it a is it a bus stop? Is it a railway station? Is it a nuclear power station? <laughs> you know, there's different requirements. I mean, um, I mean, I, I could go off on sort of the tangents, but just just quickly, have you? Do you see owners get involved more now? So again, this is, I guess, partly a loaded question, but certainly, I often represent the owner operators. Uh, do you see them get involved more, and maybe, you know, what? what how can we get them more involved? If not.
0: Yeah, um, smart owners are getting more involved, and I think understanding what it all means um, and why. But i I think we're still kind of struggling with education and awareness in general um, on the owner developer side. So um, realistically, what what happens is um, the builder will essentially budget for really good in coordination. They'll have um, a whole plan laid out on how to use these sophisticated tools to deliver a more predictable project. But to the client, it just seems like an arbitrary, very large number in the budget that they don't really understand how it's going to make their project more more predictable. That's it's really what we're talking about, right? So. Communicating that um, early on is definitely essential. Um, I think overall, like what what I see as the bigger issue is that there's no roundtable discussions quite often between um, builders and and owners where both are on the same like playing field. Just having an open discussion about here's what I need to be successful in my role. Here's what I need, and how do we kind of make that come together. So I would, I would love to see more roundtable discussions, potentially at conferences that specifically bring together, um, that perspective between, um, these, you know, what the VDC roles and teams that are promoting very, very important and essential functions, um, for the job and explaining why, why it helps um, drive essentially quality, schedule, budget, safety, everything for the project. Um, so we're not quite there yet from my perspective, but um, we're starting to crack, I think, a little bit of the communicating the why around BIM.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting, even the terminologies, I mean, it's VDC isn't a virtual design and construction, isn't necessarily even the term we use in the UK. We just say, Digital construction. I mean, it's even, I know, that's okay, because we're in different continents. So it won't, it won't, there won't be any challenges. But even the, you know, even the terminologies where it's really interesting, isn't it? Slightly different jargon. I talk about digital engineering, because I'm interested in the whole life of the asset. What do I mean by that? I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. but but yeah. let's discuss it. you know that's the whole point, but um i i know we I know you did talk about people' prices, but i mean just as an an open question and not one we had as a as a set one what what do you think the industry as a whole this is whether we mean construction or digital or whomever every everybody What's one of the one or two of the things we need to really focus on? Is it something you've already said about educating people and people, or is there something else? Let, let's say if we had mm-hmm. an infinite budget, which we don't, if we had an infinite <laughs> budget to try and tackle one or two of the big current challenges, what what are they? Is it something you've already mentioned or something else?
0: Um, I wanna touch on immediately the labor shortage and early education. So that's something I think every every construction project team has faced or has has been feeling, is feeling um, right now. So in the industry, there's this massive gap with labor, um, productivity, and what's needed to kind of stay on top of that curve. Um, There are some really bad stats out there. If you want to look it up, feel free to do a a Google search. But um, what I think helps address that is like one getting early education um into not even just high schools but even the middle school level to bring construction as a career path that students and you know potential amazing engineers and managers and you know um, field team members could see themselves doing right so without communicating that very early on it's it's hard to be what you can't see um so showing students who are in their formative years like look you can be a really badass professional in construction it's not you know the construction of a couple generations ago we're really sophisticated we're using 3d models we're doing you know very, very complex coordination. We're making things that will be a legacy for years to come, and your name will be a part of that. Um, but that's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, I think back to my own experiences. So, um, when I, I want to say middle school, um, had the opportunity to do like wood shop and metal shop and even learn how to do drafting, um, which was so formative for me to say, hey, this is actually pretty fun. This is cool. I think I can actually see myself doing some more of these types of um, things. So make, the, the message that I'm trying to say here is make the construction industry cool um, for up and coming, um, bright, potential new workforce members. So that's, that's one thing um that i think we definitely need and then so on the flip side of that conversation it's we also see um the tenured um outstandingly experienced like tenured individuals leaving the workforce in droves so either retiring out or um what have you Uh, so So it's a two-pronged problem, and I think we're going to need a a two-pronged approach to kind of address it. Um, So what, in my mind, this comes down to is very high quality uh, learning and development systems where we're capturing the knowledge from our expert builders, um, putting it into a format that is easily accessible and translatable to the upcoming generation um, so that it's it's not just lost and we're not reinventing the wheel um, over and over and over again. Um, so I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'm very passionate about LD. Um So especially with some of the GPT tools, like I, I know ChatGPT has been um, in the news a lot, as well as a lot of these other um, technologies, we could potentially leverage some of these amazing things that are just um, coming out onto the market today and say, okay, you know, expert superintendent builder, um, before you retire out and we lose all your amazing knowledge, um, how about you train an internal company GPT tool on all of your knowledge and go through lessons learned. And now that's a really amazing database and a gift, like a true gift to give to um, the new faces
1: that will be um, now walking in their footsteps so yeah that's a really good point so you talked it up I've got nothing more to add about knowledge management but certainly you know data without getting into these sort of Gartner semantics of data information insights blah, blah blah value knowledge and wisdom which I've just said it nevertheless I think knowledge retention, you've given a solution, I just normally throw it in there as a, as a challenge and don't say how we might fix it. But yeah, capturing people's knowledge, I think is absolutely key and I completely agree with you. Because even just on a business continuity and business resilience level, even if it's on a business level, no, because you're talking broader, like a body of knowledge as, as well as a single business, it's sure. a huge risk, right? It's, or it should be. It should be very high on people's risk register, and I don't think it is often. Um, yeah, um,
0: knowledge, knowledge loss, or expertise loss.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now I know I'm nearly at the uh, time at the end of the time with you. I could certainly talk all day on the on these topics. And thanks so much for your insights. I um, do, what I normally sort of end up doing is asking people if there's any way you'd recommend to get more resources obviously there are some references that you've already referred to, which I will link to. So um, reports, for example, but is there any anywhere else that you recommend people can read online resources or videos or other podcasts or even physical events if they happen to be you know near where you go? Yeah,
0: um, definitely. So one of the conferences that I usually go to, it's the ENR Future Tech Conference, Um, happens in San Francisco, I think around June-ish, so it's um, been um, held for this year, so it would be next year's conference, but that's typically where I see a lot of new technology startups come onto the market, where I've found um, really interesting solutions to pilot or test out uh, and also great for networking. You can always find um, some other people who are interested in the same stuff there as, as you are. Um, so that specifically is good for like a general tech and innovation in construction um, focus. And then the other thing that I would encourage everybody to do, so you know, going to a conference may, um, is not accessible to everybody. Um, but something that is a little bit more accessible are just individual user groups. Um, so I always encourage, you know, if it could be something like a Re- Revit user group, I know they have those. Um, I specifically champion like the Bluebeam, um, uh, Los Angeles uh, user group, uh, LA Bug. Um, so there are many of these user groups that are just open to anyone who's interested and passionate about using the tool. So uh, definitely sign up for something that's local in your area um, that is with a solution that you care about. And most often you're gonna be connected with a whole host of other people that are fantastic resources, have probably seen maybe a thing or two different than um, you can provide you know, insights or support Um, So I I really, I really want to emphasize that community that kind of grassroots level in construction and construction tech um, and data. So um, most of them are pretty accessible through the web. uh, So it's it's probably just a Google search or two away from you.
1: Great. Thank you. I There are so many other things I could ask you, but I know I, I our time is short, so I'll, I will let you go. But to, perhaps to be continued, let's let's hope so. So thank you so much for your time, Erin um, Khan from Erin Khan Consulting. Thanks for your insight and sharing uh, your thoughts today with me. So thank you very much indeed.
0: Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate the opportunity to be here.